Would you like to work for the awesome organization that brings you squeaky clean? The North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association is now hiring a donor relations specialist. This talented individual will advance NCSEA's mission and revenue by playing a key role in donor development. If you're interested in joining our team, visit energync.org. Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners, and welcome to the 13th episode of the podcast that brings you all things clean energy right to your ears. We have an awesome episode lined up for you today as I sit down with one of the leading voices on clean energy in the world. In this episode, I'm talking with one of the hosts of our favorite clean energy podcast, Katherine Hamilton of The Energy Gang. We're talking about national clean energy trends, the federal regulatory structure, and other nerdy clean energy topics that you're going to love. But first, let's start with our policy update. The 2019 long legislative session at the North Carolina General Assembly has come to a close, and the last week was a jam-packed week of huge victories for clean energy and for all North Carolina electricity customers. Remember that big, bad Senate Bill 559 that we've been talking about on Squeaky Clean? Well, it passed, and we are very excited about it. You're probably thinking, what? Senate Bill 559 that had those bad multi-year rate plans and return on equity banding? Well, yeah, it was the bill that had those controversial provisions included until last week when they were actually taken out of the bill, leaving only the broadly supported storm securitization intact. What was once a very controversial piece of legislation with bipartisan opposition transformed into a universally supported piece of legislation that passed both chambers of the General Assembly unanimously. We are so happy about the outcome of this legislation, and it's a huge win for all of North Carolina. Thanks to you and your tireless engagement on this bill, we stopped the bad parts and made sure that the legislation was a good move for North Carolina. So that's awesome news, but it doesn't stop there. The General Assembly also confirmed all three of Governor Roy Cooper's appointments to the North Carolina Utilities Commission. North Carolina Senator Floyd McKissick, Director of UNC School of Government's Environmental Finance Center Jeff Hughes, and Senior Staff Attorney at the North Carolina Utilities Commission Kim Duffley. All three of these confirmations are also huge wins for North Carolina, and we welcome these highly experienced energy professionals who will be making some crucial decisions for North Carolina's clean energy future. So yeah, it was a really good week for energy in North Carolina. And even though this was a relatively short policy update, rest assured that we will be taking a deep dive into this past legislative session on the next episode of Squeaky Clean. But without further ado, let's move right on to our regularly scheduled programming. Clean energy. Clean energy. 
Our guest today is Chair of 38 North Solutions. In this role, she has been listed on the Solar 100 board and received a Cleany Award as Entrepreneur of the Year. Our guest is co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Future of Advanced Energy Technology Global Future Council and immediate past president of Grid Alternatives Mid-Atlantic. She served as president of the GridWise Alliance, advocating for nearly $5 billion in funding for smart grid projects in the Recovery Act. Prior to that role, she was a policy advisor for Good Energies, a private investment company with a portfolio in clean energy technologies of nearly $6 billion. She co-directed the American Bioenergy Association, working with the states of Maryland and New Jersey to develop renewable portfolio standards. At the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, she led buildings research and then managed government relations in Washington, D.C., our guest today spent a decade at Virginia Power designing overhead and underground electrical systems for commercial and residential developments. She studied electrical engineering at Northern Virginia Community College and holds degrees from Cornell University and Sorbonne. Finally, our guest today is a host of our favorite clean energy podcast, The Energy Gang. Friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to our special guest today and longtime friend of the pod, Catherine Hamilton. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ben. I'm so delighted to be here. I feel like I was one of the instigators when you came to me a while back and said, hey, I want to do a podcast. And I was like, do a podcast. This would be wonderful. And you're going to be great. And you are. Well, thank you so much. And yes, you gave us a shout out pretty much after our first episode launch. And it was a huge boost to our listens. And uh, I still have people coming up and saying, oh, yeah, we heard about you on the Energy Gang. So thanks so much for that. And we really appreciate it. Great. Well, you fill a really important role, which is to keep people informed in one of the most active clean energy states in the entire country. And you, you bring the stories and perspectives that I think everyone needs to hear. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I what I, one of the things that you said when you gave us the shout out on the Energy Gang is that we're a really wonky podcast. And we've really kind of taken that as uh, and we've kind of run with it. So we've had some pretty <laughs> wonky. We've had some pretty wonky conversations on this show. So uh, that was a good characterization. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. So, Catherine, can you give us a rundown about your start in clean energy and kind of give us your career arc? Sure. We have to get in the Wayback Machine here for this one. Um, I started <laughs> at a utility in the mid-80s. I had worked summers at the utility, and I was hired to do basically distribution design work and had to take classes at the community college because I had not done electrical engineering in school. I had to take a test every six months to make sure I knew how I was doing all my calculations and that they were correct. But basically it was on the job engineering, designing systems for commercial, mostly large commercial buildings, some residential, but there was, I was in an area um, in Alexandria that was growing really rapidly. And with that growth came the need to come up with really innovative solutions to demand so we were actually deploying thermal energy storage systems, ice systems. We had thermal energy storage rates. We did all kinds of energy audits. We had time of use rates. It was one of these really creative times in the utility um, 
where we were doing a lot of innovation and that really sparked my interest. I loved that part of it. I loved thinking about how do you solve for not using as much energy or using different types of energy to fill in the gaps and demand. So um, that really got me interested so that um, about 10 years in when the utility kind of stepped back from that and I was, I still wanted to go forward. I was looking around and found a spot at the National Renewable Energy Lab where I was assigned to the Federal Energy Management Program at the Department of Energy um, to manage some of their programs and start some of their programs for energy audits and water audits for federal facilities. And so I kept going on clean energy as a result of initially my, you know, my job right out of college with the utility. So what are some of the key pieces of federal legislation that our listeners need to know about? I've been working uh, with my business partner for as long as I can remember, I think, on trying to make sure that energy storage gets an investment tax credit, just like everybody else. And so um, that's something we've been working on and really ramping up because energy storage is so is of, in and of itself so important. Um, and the costs are coming down, but it's definitely not at a level playing field from other technologies, just because other technologies get all kinds of subsidies and tax credits, which are great and it have been really beneficial to them. But storage really hasn't gotten anything but R&D funding. And we're past R&D at this point for a lot of these technologies. We need to get market mechanisms. And one of those mechanisms is making sure that it has the same kind of tax credit that solar and wind and fuel cells and everybody else gets. Now, you know, I think everybody should continue to get those credits as long as those are important technologies that we want to support and that, you know, our reduced greenhouse gas emissions and energy transition warrant, then I think they all should get credits. And I think we should bring back credits for like energy efficiency and efficient appliances and things like that. So homeowners can take advantage of it. But right now, the piece that we're working the hardest on is just making sure that storage is separated out. There are other pieces of legislation that are more focused on R&D programs on energy storage and other innovative technologies um, that are percolating along and have good bipartisan support. So there, there are things like that out there as well. Yeah. And in North Carolina, we actually had a piece of legislation this session that would have extended. uh, There's a property tax abatement for utility scale solar in North Carolina. And this piece of legislation would have extended that property tax abatement to energy storage projects. It didn't go anywhere, but it was filed. So, you know, it's on the radar and hopefully we see some movement with that in the next few sessions. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds like a really good creative idea, too, especially from a state standpoint. Um, so if, if we can align those state policies with federal policies, that's all to the benefit of the industry. And remember, if you have a tax credit for energy storage, that will just bring down the cost even more for states. So there are a lot of states that already have goals for energy storage and all kinds of other programs to invent, incentivize energy storage. This will just bring down the cost of those programs and also open up a dozen more states to pencil out on these projects. So we feel like this is something that is a really good policy. It has bipartisan support. We're just kind of trying to make sure that the vehicle um, is in place to do that. There are other things percolating along. You know, there's some legislation that 
in the federal sector has to pass every year, like appropriations to keep the government running. So appropriations bills are good ways to get funding in for certain types of programs that would go to the Department of Energy or other agencies. So those are pieces that we work on for innovative companies. Um, And a lot of those companies will do, you know, have partnership projects or grants or ARPA-E, you know, part of the ARPA-E program. So there are a lot of ways in which appropriations is really helpful. And it can also um, direct agencies to look at certain issues or topics and to explore those. And those can help states. Like an example of this would be if the Department of Energy were instructed to provide technical assistance on interconnection policy for energy storage to state regulators or to state to utilities. That kind of thing would allow DOE, would give them the funding and the resources to reach out and help states meet their goals and do what they want to do. So in a lot of ways, even though it seems like it's not directly connected to the states, it can be, it can still benefit states. Um, Other pieces of legislation that go every year is like the National Defense Authorization Bill, which goes every single year. And DOD does a lot of interesting things. And so, and I would say almost every state has a defense facility in it of some sort, and certainly North Carolina does. And so DOD can have an impact on North Carolina too, and what you're doing in clean energy. There are other pieces of legislation that will likely come out of the House and maybe not go anywhere yet in the Senate, but are still important to engage in. And those are climate bills. And they're, it's not just the Green New Deal, because the Green New Deal isn't yet a piece of legislation. It's, it's a set of ideas and tenets that um, a group of legislators has sort of signed on to, but it's not actually a bill. But there are several ways in which legislation is going to work through Congress. One is the Energy and Commerce Committee in the House of Representatives is trying to put together a big climate package by the end of this year. Now, that's a huge task that they've undertaken, and it probably will look much more like an outline or a discussion draft. But they took comments from the public uh, for a while to get input into that. That comment period's ended, but that doesn't mean they're not still taking good ideas. But there's another committee called the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis that does not have any legislative jurisdiction, but but it has been looking at the topic of climate and what are policies that will be really good tools and forces of mitigation you know, that they can put forward that then other committees of jurisdiction can take up. So in Q1, at the end of Q1 of 2020, that committee is going to put forward a report that says, here are all the policies that we recommend. And then all the committees can kind of divvy those up and start exploring what would that look like legislatively. Those comments to that committee are due November 22nd, and it's a request for information. So I would really recommend anybody listening who wants to have input into national policy on climate, even if it doesn't go anywhere you know, this year or next year, to tee something up um, if the administration should change and decide to, to work on climate, then they'll have something ready to go and they're really looking for some good solutions. And so I think everybody should be submitting ideas. They they need really good outside-the-box ideas or ideas that have worked in states that you think could work federally. 
In North Carolina, the utilities are regulated by the North Carolina Utilities Commission. Can you tell us a little bit about the regulatory structure at the federal level and how that relates to states' clean energy policies? Sure. I spend a lot of time in both venues, um, but certainly uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, is near and dear to me. And FERC I think of it as kind of the federal air traffic controller for energy markets, but FERC does, you know, the part of FERC that I work with is not all of what FERC does. So if you want to really know for listeners what FERC is, they have like a little video called what is FERC that you can go on to FERC.gov and watch that. And they also have a list of all the things they do because they do, they're governed by the Federal Power Act, the Interstate Commerce Act, and also the Natural Gas Act. And they spend a lot of time doing pipeline issues. So they do all of, you know, the non-federal hydro license, hydropower licensing, pipeline storage and terminals. So they spend a lot of time doing that. And then the other piece that they do is transmission. So when we think of transmission and energy markets, you know, making sure that you have fair, just and reasonable prices for everything that comes into the energy market. And so what that means is realistically, what can participate, how can technologies come in or services come in that provide something to the transmission and wholesale energy sector that can, or the wholesale markets that that's useful and that is cost-effective. And things have been changing really quickly, of course, because it used to be that our system was just large-scale generators, you know, moving through transmission lines out to distribution networks. And now there's just so many different types of resources that are on the grid from, you know, integrating renewables, making sure that there are market and operational tools for all kinds of facilities to come on. There was just an energy storage rulemaking that went on about how we, you know, that was a rule that was passed on, you know, making sure energy storage facilities can participate. And I spent a lot of time on this too. There's one that's pending on distributed energy resources, allowing resources more toward the edge of the grid or in the utility sector to try to participate in the wholesale market. There are a lot of issues on making sure that states retain their jurisdiction so that states can implement policies that are important to them um, while still being part of a larger system. And that's where there's some rubs in what's happening. So, you know, some states have different policies than others. Some states are much more interested in protecting their incumbent fossil or nuclear industries than other states. Some states are saying we're going to shut down all of our coal plants and instead invest in renewable energy resources. But what that means is that from the federal sector, where FERC is looking, they have to be able to manage all of that with what the system operators want to do. And FERC has to make sure that everybody is able to get paid for what they do. Um, so that's generally what they do. They, you know, I think of FERC as non-political. It's an independent agency. There are five members that are commissioners. One is a chair. All of those commissioners are appointed in staggering terms by the president and then confirmed by the U S Senate. Um, right now, they're, they do not have a full slate. They only have three commissioners, one chair, and um, the chair is always of the political party of the president. So um, Neil Chatterjee is the chair, 
And then um, Commissioner McNamee is also a Republican and Commissioner Glick is a Democrat. Now, to make a full slate of commissioners, you would need two more, um, a Democrat and a Republican, because you always have three and two, and three being the party that's in control of the White House. Um, But that makes for better decision making if you can have a mix of commissioners. Um, Right now, there isn't that enough of a mix, which I don't think is healthy for the agency. I also believe that it's really healthy to have somebody at FERC who has been a state regulator previously and understands the issues that states go through so that they can bring that experience to the table. So we usually have had at least one of the commissioners coming out of a state commission. And right now there is no one who fits that profile. So, Catherine, you do a lot of work in other states. You do a lot of work federally. What are some of the clean energy trends that you're seeing across the states? Oh, so what's been really interesting is that while states have taken really different approaches and have very different uh, political makeups and dynamics, everybody is kind of trying to grapple with the whole issue of electricity planning, especially distribution planning. And a lot of states are grappling with the same issues and they maybe come up with different solutions, but they're all looking at the same issues. So last week I spent three days and in fact, Ivan was there in my cohort. Uh, I was. Yes. And for those, and for those who are unaware, Ivan Erlob is NCSEA's phenomenal executive director. So shout out to you, Ivan. Yes. He was amazing. And I was so happy he was in my cohort. Um, the National Association for Reg- Regulatory Utility Commissions, NARUC, and the National Association of State Energy Officials, NASIO, together have a task force on comprehensive electricity planning. And it's regulators and energy officials. So those energy officials are generally appointed by the governor. Um, and so it's those are you know definitely aligned with the governor, whereas the regulatory commissioners, some of them are elected, some of them are appointed by governors, some of them are appointed by legislatures. There's a mix. But all of those for 16 states are coming together to come up with what are the best practices for comprehensive electricity planning. Because things are changing so quickly, we're getting electric vehicles, we're doing beneficial electrification, we're really moving quickly in a lot of different directions. And how does that impact planning from the regulatory standpoint that then impacts, of course, the utilities in all these states? So it was a really good three days of like, let's dive into what is required to really plan in a smart way. And all of the regulators seem to be very interested in making sure. First of all, that they make good decisions, that they make smart decisions that does not adversely impact customers. Those are really, that's really important to them. They also, of course, want to understand how to make sure that the utility is able to, I don't know if it's like make money, but survive. Um, But they also are really interested in making sure that stakeholders of all types are being able to participate and that the process is transparent. Um and inclusive. So these are all really good um, signs for me on where we're going to go just in all states. And states are moving at different rates, of course. Now, North Carolina is way ahead in so many ways on clean energy. Not all states are like that, but all states are looking at how can we get that way because they see what the benefits are of moving forward and in making sure that 
the right decisions are made for a, you know, a clean energy transition. What are you most excited about right now, Catherine? I've just in the last three months been called before the House of Representatives to testify before three totally different committees. One was the Select Committee on Climate Crisis, but another one was Science Committee on how important grid modernization and and integrated resource planning is. Um, and then I was also called before House Rules Committee to testify about resilience and how clean energy can help on resilience. And so I'm so excited that through throughout um, at least the U.S. House of Representatives, but that there is this, that there is really an understanding that this is cross, it crosses all of our sectors, not just energy, but this, but clean energy and carbon, you know, has everything to do with healthcare. It has everything to do with the economy. It has everything to do with being able to support not just urban communities, but also rural communities. So I'm excited that we're talking about this and I hope that continues and that people continue to engage so that we can really get not just support from the top, but all this grassroots support that's been building. Mm, definitely. Well, Catherine, you're huge on Twitter. You're at Clean Grid View. Your latest tweet was about your gnats. I know you love the gnats. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Late nights watching the gnats. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the things we like to do on this show is point listeners to other good Twitter accounts that they can follow. So who are some good people that our listeners can go follow on Twitter? So Lee Stokes is great. She, um, she does a lot of, um, she's been tracking all the different democratic presidential candidates and what they're saying and doing on climate. So she was actually on the energy gang about that and she's great. I love her. I love, um, Ari Pesco, if you need to know about FERC, Ari Pesco is great. He breaks down all these different FERC rulemakings, and I really, I really enjoy him. Um, and then, you know, I like looking at the dumb dog videos. You know, <laughs> I, like <those. laughs> I like seeing, like, you know, you only had one job kind of things. You know, I don't want to take Twitter too seriously, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Well, we're just we're just so nerdy on this show, you know. We just need some uh, some other energy nerds to go. There's follow. so many good ones. There are so many good people on Twitter at Noble Ideas. So Michael Noble, who runs Fresh Energy um, in St. Paul, Minnesota, is great. He's also another good one to follow. Justin Gway is really good to follow. He works on like insurance issues and coal, you know, insurance companies, like their boards supporting coal. There are just so many people out there depending on like what, what kind of slice you're most interested in. But the fun thing about Twitter, Ben, is they get to learn what's happening all over the place. So that's why I love to follow people in States. Definitely. Yeah. That's, uh, we, we've had some guests in the past that have really pointed us to some good on the ground people in the States. So uh, go back and check out those episodes if you want to learn about some more good Twitter accounts. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for being on the show. 
good luck with all the work that you're doing. This was a great episode. I think we got a really good overview of what's happening federally, some of the trends we're seeing in other states, some of the challenges that are coming up. So we really appreciate you being on the podcast. We're, uh, we're, we're fangirling and fanboying over the fact that we got you on the <laughs> podcast because, because Energy Gang is just so cool. So uh, yeah, thank you so much. And you were an awesome guest. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. This is a great podcast. You've done an amazing job considering how, you know, we've been doing the Energy Gang for five years. So we've had a long time to try to get it right, but you're doing it right from the beginning. And I really appreciate it. And I would just say to all your listeners, like if you need anybody in the federal side to give you some help, feel free to look me up. Definitely. And that's 38 North Solutions. have it folks the 13th episode of the squeaky clean energy podcast bringing the latest in clean energy right to your ears thanks so much for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode as we give you the inside scoop on this latest legislative session until then take care and have a great day